Hey everyone, welcome to the Career Medis podcast. This is your host, Nisar Ahmed. And this is episode 78 of the podcast. And this episode is part of uh, the Career Expert series. If you're listening to this for the first time, just a quick refresher. In the Career Expert series, I've interviewed career professionals, coaches, career mentors. These are individuals who are experts in this domain of job search and career transition. And they share their ideas for job seekers on helping them find their next job or the dream job. And for today's Career Expert Series episode, I'm interviewing Zach Slayback. He helps smart and ambitious people learn the skills for success that school never taught them. He's also an author. He's also a blogger. Recently, one of the books he has written is called The End of School, Reclaiming Education from the Classroom. I'm sure we'll hear more about all these things as we go along with the interview. But first of all, hey, Zach, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Nassar, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you making the time. No, the pleasure is all mine. I'm excited. Uh, I have a few uh, questions that I'd like to ask you, and I'm, I'm excited. This, this episode is going to be loaded with a lot of, lots of wisdom. The first question I always ask, it's a fun question, is where are you calling from? Oh, I am calling from the beautiful metropolis of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I've had a very Pittsburgh day thus far. I, I went to a Ukrainian church and bought pierogies. So <laughs> if there were a Steeler game today and if the pierogies were covered in Heinz ketchup, I think that's the only way I could get like more Pittsburgh. So I've had the pleasure of having a few individuals from Pittsburgh. For example, I've interviewed Aaron Watson is a common friend of ours a few, many episodes ago, beginning of this year. So here's, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, okay. I'm going to ask you a question. You cannot tell steel and because everybody knows Pittsburgh is the one of the hubs of American uh, industrial revolution going back 100 years ago. Everybody mm-hmm. knows Pittsburgh is known for steel. You can also talk about the Steelers. So can you share with us a fun fact about Pittsburgh that people would not know unless they have been there? Pittsburgh is a really great foodie city. That's, that's one thing. Like people would do not think of Pittsburgh when they think food. They might think like pierogies, which I personally enjoy, but uh, my family's like a quarter Slovak, so that makes sense. But there's some fantastic restaurants here. A number of uh, restaurants that have been ranked, you know, at the top of new restaurants to visit. There's one place, Gaucho Perea. It's an Argentine restaurant. I, I'm terrible at rolling my R, so I'm mispronouncing Perea. But it is so good. The Argentine food there is so good, Nisar, that I went to Buenos Aires solely because the food at that restaurant was so good. I thought, okay, if the food at this restaurant in Pittsburgh is so good, then you know, a, a, a country that can produce this, it can't be a bad place to go. Huh. Uh, yeah, so I, I mean, career-wise, it, one of the things that surprises people too is that it's one of the robotics capitals of the world definitely of the United States. I would put Boston probably as one of the only other cities that I would put above it. It's not unusual to see multiple self-driving cars in a day, not just from Uber, Uber, but from other companies as well. So there's a lot going on here. It's a cool place to be. Yeah. Speaking of that, I think I was reading, this is many months back when Uber was testing out their self-driving car, I think they chose Pittsburgh, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this, okay. That's interesting to know because I know uh, it has become a new tech hub I've mm-hmm. interviewed another individual, Barry Rapkin, from Pittsburgh as well. Yep. So, okay, that's that's pretty cool. I did not know about the food cult, uh, food eat part, so that's interesting. Yeah, you know, I towards the end of last year, I decided that I wanted to move, and it really came down to a city like Pittsburgh or Austin, Texas. And they're actually, in my estimation, they're actually fairly similar places. You know, most people know as Austin as like a cool kind of up and coming tech city, but 
there's a lot of interesting technology going on here in Pittsburgh. Culture around it as well is just really, really exciting. Awesome. So moving along, I'd love to get to know about your profile a little bit. Could you share with us your story, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I came to being, I guess, a professional development expert through a couple years of working at a company. I was one of the founding team members of a company called Praxis that puts young people in apprenticeships at startups. And my job for a good chunk of those years was to go out and find the new companies to do it, then to sell these companies on taking you know, a risk on like an 18-year-old. And through a lot of my experience with that, and then picking up some you know, private clients who I've helped coach up through both what I call accelerating their career, so helping them get a promotion before they think they otherwise would be able to, helping them you know, go out and start a business and instead of sitting in a cubicle all day. I've just had, I've been able to accumulate a lot of interesting opportunities to walk people through the professional development process that has also made me kind of step back and realize that, you know, schools do a terrible job at preparing people for this. I, you referenced my book earlier, The End of School, and that there's honestly a lot of the professional development material out there does a terrible job for these people as well. And with the schools in particular, this was something that a couple of years ago, I, I kind of noticed I was a student in college at the time and I was actually in the focus group for this company that I went and later went to go join. And I remembered noticing that I thought it was very odd that the people who were giving young people career advice were people who have not had to find a job in like 20 or 30 years, right? They're often like guidance counselors at high schools uh, or they're professors at universities or they're some kind of like bureaucrat at a university. And I find these like really, really, unless these are people who professionally do career placement, I find it very odd that they're the ones that we often push young people into listening to for their career advice. So, you know, just noticing that discrepancy and then having the opportunity to work with a lot of businesses and work with a lot of people at the beginning of their careers made me realize, man, there's, there's a lot out there that people just don't internalize because they're never really taught it. And then we're surprised, right, when people, you know, graduate college or graduate school between the ages of 22 and 26. And they don't know what they want to do, right? One of the statistics that I've seen that makes me particularly concerned about this is that anxiety, stress, and depression among people under the age of 30 is at all-time highs. And there's a lot of things that can contribute to that, but one of the things that you'll know, and you know, any of your listeners who fall into that category, may, this may resonate with them, is that people just are not being trained with the proper skills and mindsets to help them be the ones in charge of their careers. They just often are expected to take the career that comes their way because of their major or because of the network of people they know. That's very interesting. You, you said a couple of interesting things. So first of all, I wanted to say this. You mentioned Praxis a couple of weeks ago. I, I interviewed Isaac Morehouse. Oh, cool. Uh, and uh, so it's a small world. Uh, we seem to be knowing the same people. So that's, that's pretty cool. He talked about this as well. You mentioned something very, very key during your introduction. You said that a lot of people giving advice to young professionals or new graduates have not necessarily had to look for a job or a career in the last 20 years. And mm-hmm. as you were saying that, that is so true. That is like the elusive obvious where it is obvious, but a lot of people don't think about it. Right. I mean, I, I just found it very odd that, you know, let me put it this way, right? The education system as it exists in the United States today does a mediocre job, I think at best, of preparing young people with the right 
career and professional development skills to go out into the real world and not only perform well at their careers, but to feel competent at their careers, right? And to feel like, hey, if I want to switch jobs, I can do that and I don't have to go through a a massive existential crisis in doing that. At the same time, it it does a fantastic job preparing people to go into academia. Uh, And that's something that we can recognize. We can recognize it does a really good job of doing that, but that there are other things that we need to teach people and that people need to learn in order to, like I said, be in a position where not only if they wanted to get a promotion, they can go out and they can do that, but also if they wanted to switch jobs or if they wanted to launch a company or if they wanted to do something that forces them to you know, step outside the traditional, what I call classroom to cubicle pipeline, they can do so. Okay. So let's uh, do this. I mean, before we talk about the cure or the solution, I want to dig deeper into this challenge. So number one challenge you said is a lack of proper resources or guidance. In your experience, and you have recently been through this, uh, what are some of the top few challenges that young professionals face as they enter the workforce? One of those is, and this this kind of goes back to a lot of the arguments you'll hear people for for and against different types of higher education. I, I really am not too, too interested in that debate in particular, but one of them is that people don't know the right people, right? You know, there's, there's an old saying that, you know, you can debate about how valid you think the saying is, but it's like, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And to a certain extent, everyone can recognize that that's true to some extent. And when people are coming out of the traditional pathways for higher education and for professional development, most of the people they know are their age or like within a couple years of them. And while those are people who they might be more useful in your career later in your career when they're more seasoned and when you are more seasoned, they're not particularly useful right now because they're probably not the people who are hiring. They're probably not the people who can introduce you to people who are hiring. And they're probably not the people who can cash in some of their social capital with important people for you, right? So let's say that you are a 23-year-old who just came out of college and you need to go get a job and you want to get a job, say, in venture capital. I'll, I'll use that example. And that's, a, that's an industry where, you know, referrals are really important. And you have a bunch of friends who are, say, finance majors with you. So you know, it's not like you're not trained how to do this stuff. You know how to do it. You, you understand the finances that goes into it. And you're trying to get a referral Everyone you know is probably within four years of your age, and they might be able to introduce you to a manager or one of their bosses, but what would be really valuable for you would be to take somebody who has been in the industry for 20 years and that person to do an introduction for you or be a person who you could approach to get an opportunity. So one, I I say that people's networks aren't properly diversified, right? Uh Two, they don't, they're, they're not trained how to properly diversify their networks, right? I mean, if you've ever seen, I'm friends with a lot of professors on Facebook, and sometimes they'll post screenshots of emails that students send them mocking their students, which first of all, is just very odd to me that they're mocking their customers. Secondly, it's like that the emails aren't particularly well written. And no one like sits people down and is like, here's how you send an email to someone who's really busy, right? Here's how you make requests of people. Here's how you sit down with someone and you show them that you're someone who they should take seriously and not waste their time. So there's that too. So people aren't equipped with the right network and they're not equipped with the skills to build the right network. And I think thirdly, like people also are not put in a position where they think it's okay to go after something that they know that they want. So let me put it in in different terms. You know, it's really popular to say to follow your dream, right? 
but people are never, never taught or very rarely introspect on what it is that they want to follow, right? It's like they know they like certain things, so maybe they should go after that. But one of the things that you find, especially among high-performing uh, young professionals and especially among high-performing students, is that they're really good at whatever game you put them in, right? So if you put them in a particular corporate job, they'll probably do really well at that. If you put them in an elite university, they'll probably do really well at that. But then they get out of, say, that corporate job or they get out of uh, the university and they finally have the opportunity to choose between the different systems that they can put themselves in. And they're never really taught how to choose. So that too, like the number of people I run into where they're like, yeah, I'm doing well at my job. I just don't enjoy it. (laughs) But I don't know what I would enjoy. Now, that's an interesting question. How do we teach people to enjoy, to find the things that they would enjoy, right? So those three things I think would be the biggest ones that I've seen. Very interesting. So lack of guidance, not knowing how to network, uh, not having a network, not knowing how to network and not, not having a deep perspective of, uh, of their individual careers. So you, you brought, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it is sort of uh, one of the things I love talking about is unconventional ideas. Everybody talks about, you know, job search ideas, resume tips, and there's tons of resources, including my site where you can find out how to write a resume or how to go to do an interview. But in terms of networking itself, let's say I'm a student and I just graduated, let's say in marketing, where do you recommend they start building their network? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say you need to have a strong network, but if I were to ask you, how do you do that? Uh, how do you respond? Yeah, I'd say, first of all, don't go to networking events, right? <laughs> or don't, don't look to them as the panacea, right? It's like, you know, it, it's funny that you bring up the, the resume writing example because I was actually going to say, I, I'm a big fan of like knowing, knowing how to meet the right people, right? I don't like to say I'm a big fan of networking, but you know, people know what, they mean when I, know what I mean when I say networking at least. But it's like when people go on a job search, the first thing they do is they redo their resume instead of figuring out what kind of job they want and what skills they have. And I think that's the totally wrong approach of doing these things. Having a good, a well-written resume is better than having no resume or a poorly written resume, right? But in the meeting the right people world, that's the equivalent of getting a pretty business card. Having a pretty business card is not going to get you an opportunity. Now, not having a business card might make you miss out on an opportunity, but going and like designing the pretty business card and ordering it from like moo.com is not going to be the thing that is going to like get you the job that you really want to have. So before somebody like jumps into figuring out how to meet the right people, I think it's important for them to know who are the right people for you to meet, right? And if you're beginning your career or you're beginning a new phase of your career, the most valuable people for you to know are the people to whom you can add value. That is a really important distinction. And to think about this, the concept I like to talk about, I'm actually writing a new book right now called How to Get Ahead When You Have Nothing to Offer, which opens with this concept. The concept to think about on like a mindset level is something called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is essentially the price of your time, right? If you are a, the, the old saying that I know is uh, that something like, you know, if, if Bill Gates was walking down the street and he saw a hundred dollar bill sitting on the street, it would not make sense for him to stop and pick it up, right? Because the True. couple of seconds, I guess now the better example would be Jeff Bezos since he's now the best <laughs> in the world. Yeah. But for Jeff Bezos to stop and pick that up, like it, it would just make more sense for him to keep going about his day, right? 
You want to find people like that. People for whom, for them to do something would be a waste of their time, but it still needs to be done by somebody and they don't currently have somebody doing it, right? And so there's this kind of equilibrium you can strike where it's like, there are certain activities that for you are really high value, like if you're a person at the beginning of your career, are really high value opportunities. Like maybe it's, it's putting together a pitch deck or maybe it's you know prospecting new, uh, new potential business partners or maybe it's like putting together a, uh, an advertising proposal or something like that, right? But for this specific person, isn't really worth their time. But it's still something that needs to get done. It's important that it gets done. If you find somebody and people in general for whom you could have this kind of relationship with. And then you try to meet them, right? Because like, like I've been to networking events and like most of the people who are at networking events, yeah, I occasionally meet someone who's, who's interesting and who falls into this category I'm talking about. But usually the people I'm talking about, they don't have time to go to networking events. So like most of the people at networking events are like a bunch of salespeople and they're all meeting other salespeople. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, and, and, and it's... it's it's much better to be strategic and have the right mindset and understand the right fundamentals about meeting the right people than to like just go out to as many networking events as you can. So I would say, you know, if, even if you don't have an idea of what it is you want to do, the people you should try to meet are people who fall into that category of people with high opportunity costs whom you can help, right? So you think about what are the skills you have? Maybe your skills are, you're, you're at the beginning of your career. You're not going to have like a, a crazy amount of skills, right? Like let's, let's be honest about that. But that's your advantage here, right? Maybe you can write relatively well or maybe you're, you have a particularly thick skin and you're okay with people hanging up on you on cold calls, right? Or maybe you're someone who has a particularly good eye for design. You understand those things and then you prospect the people that you want to meet with. So I think it's important before you start networking to think about who it is you want to meet with. So you're talking about networking with a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And one of the things I t- took away from there is it's also to, it's also useful to identify what you're good at or what you want to do. Then you can network based on that compared to going to an event. You don't know who you're going to meet. It's very random mm-hmm. and you don't get a good value for your time. Okay. That's a great way to put it. So let's say someone has done that. They have identified. So I'm going back to the marketing example because it's a hard growing career and marketing Mm -hmm. is huge, like social media marketing, digital marketing, graphic design. They've identified that's where they are interested in. Do you have any tips, Zach, on where they could get started? I mean, just as an example. Yeah, I mean, start with a business that you like. Let's say there's a business in your community that you like, but you see that they could improve something about say their social media marketing. So let's, let's, let's focus in on that niche social media marketing, right? Sure. Uh, I like that example too, because it's a good example from which you can develop a portfolio, right? So you approach that business and you offer them. And I understand like not everyone can do this, but I think that most people can, they, they might have to be a little, you might have to be a little creative with your time or a little creative with how you would earn money elsewhere. Offer them to essentially do a project for them for free, right? Or for essentially at cost. And most businesses, if you approach them about this, you know, you call the manager or you even just message their Facebook page, you know, the worst they can say is no. Often they'll say like, okay, we'll let you try this, right? And then you work for them and you you develop a project example of something that you've done well. Once you have that, and you're not really looking at this company as, as a way of building a career. It might be, but it's probably, it's more means to an end. Now you have a piece of collateral. And now that you have that piece of collateral, you, uh, you stick out a lot better than all the kids that you'll meet who will be like, 
I want to go into marketing. Okay. Have you ever actually like developed a marketing portfolio? Uh, I took a marketing class once wrong. No, that's not a portfolio. So to actually have the sort of social proof from a real business, that's hugely valuable. That's where I would get started. You know, it could be a local business. It could be maybe an author you like. It could be someone that you listen to on the podcast here, right? You find a way to contact them. You, when you contact them, make it very clear what you want to do for them. Don't just be like, let me work for you. Because to a lot of very busy people, if someone says, so like if someone comes up to me and says, Zach, I want to work for you, I would just look at them and I'd be like, doing what, right? Like it's going to cost me time and energy to figure out what it is they can do. If they can come with me, come to me with what is essentially a canned response where it's like, Zach, I want to do X, Y, and Z for you. I can give them a yes, no, right? And at least then if they give me that X, Y, and Z, I can say, okay, maybe I don't need Y and Z, but I could use X and I could use X prime. So why don't you work with me on doing that? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes sense. You're, you're, you're starting by offering value absolutely. rather than asking for a job. That's, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, thanks for sharing that insight. I, I, these are the type of ideas that I'm sure the audience loves. I also love hearing them myself. This is a different way of looking at starting a career. I, next question I want to ask is I, I, do, I noticed that you, are, uh, you do have a very uh, fast-growing blog. It's called The Mission. Uh, can, you tell, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it, just to be clear, I, I work with the team at The Mission. It's, it's not my blog personally. Uh, okay. But I, it used to be a publication called Life Learning. Uh, <laughs> this is a fun story. So you, you recently had Isaac Morehouse on your podcast. He could actually attest to this. Isaac and I and another set of people on the Praxis team would write a lot, right? One of the things that the Praxis com- that the company that is Praxis does well is they do content marketing very, very well. You read an article that's about like education theory and then you realize it's actually a Praxis ad. So we would write a lot about education and we published on Medium. I can't remember who referred us to Medium, but we decided to try it at one point. And uh, we were writing for an education publication and then they banned us <laughs> because they said, you know, a lot of the educators who read our platform uh, don't agree with your views on higher education. <laughs> so then the, the guy who ran the mission, which at the time was a publication called Life Learning, reached out to us and said, hey, I'd love for you to actually write for me or with me. And, you know, that, that's been a fantastic uh, publication opportunity. And, and the mission's just, the mission makes smart people smarter, right? It publishes stories, podcasts, interviews, you know, long form content to make smart people smarter. Uh, I like the tagline, make smart people uh, smarter. Seems like a, a common theme in your career with your books, with what you write is about education and higher education. I want to tie this into my next question. You've seen this, you write about this. Where do you think the higher education field is going in the next 10, 20 years? Every industry is changing. Where do you think, what do you think will happen to that industry? Uh, I I don't like making predictions. Uh, However, I would say that I think what you're going to see is you're going to see a, a move away from the bachelor's degree being like the hard and fast credential for hiring somebody. I mean, you've already seen this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this was even something over the last four or five years, right? So I, I really started my, my career in, in the professional development world not all that long ago. It was probably only five years ago. But seeing the shift in these past five years around the, the bachelor's degree as a credential has been Really, really fascinating to me. So five years ago, you know, almost every job I would come across would say, you know, bachelor's degree or uh, bachelor's degree required, right? And then about mm, two or three years in, I started noticing a shift 
where often what I would do is I'd look at the career pages of these companies before I'd go and talk to their, their founders or their investors. And I noticed that the job descriptions tended to shift from a bachelor's degree required to a phrasing that's very, very particular, which is bachelor's degree or equivalent work experience required. And I thought that was really, really interesting. And eventually I was in the uh, office, I was in the C-suite with the CEO of a prominent advertising agency in the Southwest. And I was pitching him on, on working with us at the time. And I just had to ask him, I was like, so I have to ask you, you know, you're, you like what I've pitched you on, you understand the value of experience, you understand the value of a portfolio for people. Your website says degree or equivalent work experience required. What, what do you mean by equivalent work experience? And he said, honestly, full-time work experience, I think six months of full-time work experience is equivalent to a degree in advertising or marketing from ASU, which huh. we were in Phoenix, so that was Arizona State. And, you know, I'm, I hold some, some strong beliefs about higher education, and that even caught me off guard. It's like six months versus four years? Wow. I think you're going to see uh, more and more of a shift in that direction, that what people want to see is that you can generate results. And they don't care about, they won't care as much about certain credentials because those credentials signal certain things to people. And those things are valuable for certain industries, but for the vast majority of industries, it's more valuable to be able to generate substantive results than it is to show me that you can sit in a desk and listen to orders for four years. So I think that's the kind of direction it's going to be going towards. I, I want to see liberal arts education move outside of universities more and more. And I think you're starting to see this. There's, I think, Patreon and sites like that, which allow people to donate to creators, are, are good examples of this. There's, now, there's a lot of people on Patreon who it's like, give me $5 a month and you can like read my bad poetry. But uh, the example I like to give is there's a psychology professor in Toronto who gets something, I, I mean, it's been a couple months since I, I looked at his Patreon page, but he gets something like, I think it's like $70,000 a month or maybe it's six, it, it's, a, it's a ridiculous amount of money, right? So he's, he's doing close to a million dollars a year in donations for him to really put out his lectures on the internet and to do lectures like he's got a lecture on like the psychological significance of, of the Bible stories. And I think you're going to see a lot more people like that because you're going to, it's going to be easier to give like the lecture on like Jungian psychology as an example. And you were like the go-to person for that. And people can access it on YouTube or other platforms. And, and the beauty of the internet is if you're good at it and if you're able to share it, you can build an audience. If you do it the right way, you could build an audience. That's absolutely. Uh, it has become the great equalizer. Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your background, uh, so long as you are good at it. You know, people aren't going to be like, "Well, does he have a degree from Harvard?" You mm-hmm. know, if, if you do it well, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's funny. Even MIT and Harvard, they are putting up their courses online for free. Uh, many of them for the uh, general public to consume. So there is a shift to the e-learning, uh, but also shift of breaking down silos as well. One of the biggest takeaways for me from what he just said, Zach, is a six months of equivalent work experience is almost as valuable as a four-year degree. I mean, specifically what he said is that it was more valuable than the okay. four-year degree in this case. Okay. So, Zach, you've shared a lot of great ideas here. Uh, if After listening to this, the audience wants to get, some, uh, get in touch with you or find out more about you, how do they do that? Uh, the best way would be go to zackslayback.com. That is Z-A-K. I've got a weird spelling of Zach. Z-A-K, Slayback, S-L-A-Y, B as in boy, A as in alpha, C-K, dot com. 
know, you can read all my writing there. You can check out my books, stuff like that. But the really important thing when you go there is that you give me your email address in one of the two email captures on my site. I email my email list, you know, at least once a week, fairly, fairly often with a lot of the stuff like you and I have just been talking about, you know, this week I sent out a, a nice long email uh, about here's how you actually schedule things with really busy people, right? Like you've emailed someone, don't play like phone tag with them. Here's how you can get something scheduled in like one email, stuff like that. So go there. From there, you'll see links for my Facebook, for my Twitter and for my LinkedIn. Follow me on each of those. I write on LinkedIn fairly often. You can also find me on Medium under Zach Slayback. Awesome. Before we wrap up, any last words to the audience? Yeah, the thing I would just stress to the audience here is that understand that like time has value attached to it, right? And if you can understand the time has value attached to it and that there are people who, for them, time is more valuable than it is, say, for you, especially at the beginning of your career, that opens up a ton of opportunities for you. It makes it a lot easier to email people. It makes it a lot easier to meet up with them. It makes it a lot easier for you to get cool job opportunities. Understand that and always be thinking to yourself, where can I add value for this very busy person? And that will open up opportunities for you. Amazing, amazing wrap up. Thank you, Zach. It's been a pleasure. Uh, you shared amazing ideas. Thank you, Nassar. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Career Medis Podcast. As always, I write a summary of the interview uh, as a show note, and you can find that on the site, careermedis.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, if you learned something new, feel free to post a comment or review. And if you really, really loved it, definitely go ahead and share this episode among your network. Until next time, this is Nassar Ahmad, your host for the Career Medis Podcast. Thank you.